0: Oh, good evening. It's really good to to be with you tonight. I want you to uh, consider a few things tonight that uh, I've been thinking about a lot lately. And uh, it'll piggyback on some of the things that Brent has been teaching in the past uh, few weeks. Uh, Obviously, as his father, I need to finish his series up. uh, uh, He gets to a point and just can't quite bring it home you know, so I think that, uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll work on that and, and see how that uh, that comes out <laughs> yeah right <laughs> okay here's what I want you to do I want to begin with a quote by Francis de Salas, who is a writer back in the 18th century and he said this an interesting statement about marriage he said the The state of marriage is one that requires more virtue and constancy than any other. It is a perpetual exercise of mortification. From this time plant, in spite of the bitter nature of its juice, you may be able to draw and make the honey of a holy life. Think about what he says there for a second. It's a little bit shocking, especially if you're a young couple that is ready to get married like my two youngest sons. He didn't exactly describe marriage as this wonderful party, now did he? (laughs) He speaks of it as a perpetual exercise of death. Mortification. (laughs) He talks about it as a bitter juice from a thyme plant. But that hopefully through that bitter juice, one is able to make the honey of a holy life. Do you think he's off his rocker? Absolutely crazy. If you have lived and been married long enough, you will understand better what he is saying. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to suggest to you that he reflects very much what the Scriptures say about marriage. Our text tonight is Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21 through 33. And that is a text, as I've said, Prince talked about a bit in, uh, in the last number of weeks. And you know the text pretty well. I don't think we need to go down and talk about every detail of the text Now let me point out a few things from this text. And we immediately read this and we say, well, this is just about marriage, isn't it? This is all about the way a husband is to act and the way a wife is to act. And we need to just get that down, how husbands and wives are to use and take care and and be careful about their relationships in marriage. And yet, if you have been a Bible student very long, you know that it goes beyond that. You know that the very end of this text, that in verse 32, Paul said, but I'm not really talking about marriage. I'm talking about the relationship between Christ and the church. But it is very difficult for us to read this text and not think about marriage. So I want to bring this... Beyond the idea of marriage and look at it more from the standpoint of the way Paul was talking about this text and what he was doing. Marriage is the illustration in the text, the real message is the church. The real message is the Christ relationship to the church. The real message is the relationship of the church to Christ. This is a a unified message that goes beyond the whole idea of marriage. However, it is impossible for us to talk about this relationship of Christ and the church and the relationship with the body unless we first understand the relationship in the marriage. And that's what Paul was doing. So the first thing I want you to think about is the radical nature of the commands given there. We read it so easily. Wives, submit yourselves, your husbands. It's just so normal. We just say it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for it. And we read it fairly casually at times until we stop and go out into the world and quote it to somebody else. What happens then? Man, you would have thought you pulled out a two by four and smacked him on the side of the head. Why? Because they, maybe more than us, have recognized the radical nature of the commands. Are you kidding me? Submit to him? Lay down my life for her thought I was supposed to get all that I could get out of this marriage. I thought this marriage was for my pleasure. was for the fun that I was going to get out of it. What about this radical command? Extreme sacrifices. When you think about the implications of it, something that I will cite a lot of times in my marriage ceremonies, you have absolutely no right to ever make a decision without first considering your spouse. Your self-centeredness is done. The Lord has not only urged us into this relationship, He's nearly forced us into the relationship. He's pushed us into it by stating from the very beginning that it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And not good for this. I want you to be together. And He's created in us this desire for this more intimate companionship. And yet at the same time, He has forced us into a relationship that requires us to give everything up. How are you doing with that? Those of us who are older, how are you doing with that self-sacrifice when you were young in your 20s? Even in your 30s? Maybe even in your forties. Maybe even today. We bomb at it. Over and over again. It has been a struggle for us to go beyond ourselves. To not make those self-centered decisions. And in fact, we learn we learn that the only hope we have of really making this a satisfying, fulfilling relationship is that we put ourselves in a perpetual state of mortification. We always die so that our spouse might live we realize that every time we try to grab pleasure out of the relationship in a selfish kind of way, that we fail and that we push him or her further away from us. It is so fascinating. We cannot, as men, we cannot command her to love us. I've had that happen a few times where a man drug his wife into my office, pulled out a passage and said, would you tell her she has to do that? (laughs) And I said son come here (laughs) Let's have a little talk here That isn't the way it works It's never going to work that way It does not work with us commanding her Begging her Challenging her Pushing her There is the only way That we can get her to love us The way we want her to love us And that is to die to give ourselves up on a daily and hourly basis. The fact that Paul had to command these words, command, submit yourselves to your husbands, even as to the Lord. Command, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for it. You go to the cross, men. The reason He had command those things is because it is not a natural part of us. We have been subject, as Brent has pointed out in his lessons, we have been subject to the curse. And when you read the curse, it is a fascinating statement. I will greatly increase your labor pains. With pain you will give birth to children. Net version, you will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. Is there anything in that that sounds like the verses just before it? In chapter two eighteen, God had said, "It's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper. I will make one who is like God for you to help you, suitable for you." And when she is created, the man, eyes dazzling and big, says, "Oh." This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she's taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be and, be, and hold fast and cleave unto his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And you see this excitement of unity and care and, and love. And then the sin comes and it's like she goes... I'm taking over and he says, no, you're not. And here we go. The battle is on. And you can see it all, your, all around you. You can see it constantly in the world around it. It's becoming more and more pronounced as time goes on. It is radical, the difference, but the world is reflecting the curse. And what has Christ called us to do? Reverse the curse. And how did he do it? By coming and showing us the way. Marriage from the very beginning was not intended as simply something to give man some companionship. It was intended to reflect the very union of us with Christ in an eternal kind of nature. And thus he came to say, here's the way that looks. And he died. And he gave up everything and said, this is the way that has to be. That's the only way that it can work. And thus, when we read those words in verse 32, this mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The challenge then is for us to treat our relationship with Christ in exactly the same way he told us to treat our relationship in marriage. In other words, I can never make a decision unless I'm first thinking about my bridegroom. I can never live my life any time of the day without first drawing nearer to my bridegroom. I cannot go through the day and do anything without first recognizing the importance of my relationship to my bridegroom. I am called to draw near to Him, to love Him because this relationship is a love relationship. How many times have you heard, and those of us who are older have heard it a lot, how many times have you heard the words, well, how do you love God? Well, you keep His commandments. I mean, after all, John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Time out, you didn't read that right. He did not say, if you keep my commandments, you love me. Now do. The church at Ephesus, kept the commandments. And he wasn't their first love. Sure. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So here's here's a relationship that all of us have in marriage, right? We go, okay, uh, honey, would you tell me your commandments? And she goes, uh, yeah, would you tell me your commandments? And and if we keep each other's commandments, then we love each other. That's the way that works, right? Boy, that didn't work at all. That's not what the Lord talked about at all. If you love me. In other words, the love comes first. And how does that happen? Because God, as Hosea 6 and verse 6 says, God desires steadfast love, not sacrifice. He desires the knowledge of God rather than burnt offering. Jesus quoted that verse twice in the New Testament to emphasize the Pharisees had missed the boat. They concentrated on, okay, let's uh, let's get the commandments just right. Uh, Wait a minute, do you love God? No, we're just getting the commandments right here. Would you get out of the way? I'm trying to get the commandments right. And I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we have done exactly the same thing. Let me get the commandments right. Now that's not, is it wrong that the commandment's right? No. What's wrong is, is that I don't get the relationship right. So that then I obey because I'm madly in love with Him. Because I've known Him and I've learned about Him. And the challenge for every Christian is to go beyond just looking at the Bible and searching out the commandments. I said this to my high school class back in April or so. I was so discouraged with them. You've seen them—that kind of class—come in, slouch down, pull out their phone, and you're going, "Hey, would you put the phone away so we can get the Bible out?" You just want to go, "Okay, hold on, bear. Don't kill them. You know, don't, don't, don't kill them. That you probably go to jail for that." I, you're just going. And so I finally, I finally, I said to them, I said, you know, in the last class, I said, you know, I want you, I want you, you, you guys to understand something. I, I would plead with you. Obviously, everybody tells you to read your Bible. I want you to go beyond that. I want you to quit reading your Bible to look up anything that tells you to do something. I want you to read your Bible for one reason and one reason only. I want you to read it to get to know Jesus. I want you to read it so that you learn to love Him for what He's done for you. Forget baptism. Forget going to church. Forget all those commands because none of them make a bit of difference right now until you learn to love Him. And I was talking to kids who had got dunked and were slouching down and had no interest whatsoever in learning about God. Oh, I got my baptism done good for you, you're going to hell wet. Because you don't know the Lord. You don't know the Lord. You don't love the Lord. You don't desire the Lord. You're not passionate about the Lord. That's the number one command. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. This is not about... What's the commands, man? Let me get them done. This is about loving God. God and that's what's reflected in the relationship and that's why Paul says look this is a profound mystery I'm talking about Christ in the church Christ in the church is the ultimate goal and it's simply foreshadowed by the marriage relationship that God has asked of us when we submit and when we lay down our lives for one another take us a step further This whole text started with chapter 5, verse 21, in which he said, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If If that's a little difficult to see, let me show it to you from the Colossian letter where it's very, very similar. And Paul said, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, if you, just, if you just take the first and last statements there, whatever you do, you are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do. So, how many times have you been in a situation where it's on your job or, or school or whatever the situation, you go, I hate this. Yeah, well, <laughs> we've all been there. And he says, just cut that out. You're serving the Lord Christ. Do you love Him? Whatever you do, you're serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do in your marriage, you're serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do on your job, you're serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do in your daily relationship with your neighbors and friends and even enemies, you are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, You do it heartily because you are serving the Lord Christ. That's the picture. You know know that back in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46. He showed that same picture on the day of judgment. He will judge us by saying, you know, you saw me hungry and you didn't do anything about it. You go, what are you talking about? I never saw you that way. Dude, there were people you saw that way and you didn't do anything about it. Whatever it is, you didn't do anything about it. That was the way you handled your relationship. Now, let's talk about this then from the idea of how marriage teaches us to love on a deeper level. You ever notice young couples? I had Austin and Melissa with us last week. Scott and I mean Robin and and uh, Shelly with us this week and it's it's just cool it's exciting to see young love you know it's all starry-eyed and that's neat and uh, uh, it's just fun to uh, watch that that relationship, and it's just kind of, well, you know, we all kind of live through it a little bit. I like to, I like to get a little close and figure out what's going on, you know. And it's just fun. It reminds me of the days that we started out, me and Teresa. Is that what it's about? Is that, is that, is that the reason God created marriage? So we could just go, as Teresa says, googly-eyed in love with each other. You know, is that, is that really what it's about? It's a spark and it's fun. And it's all, is that really what it's about? I would like you to find that in Ephesians 5. I'd like you to find that in Ephesians 5. Hmm. He doesn't talk about that, does he? I remember years ago an interview with a woman and a man who'd been married 70 years. And the interviewer got right up to the woman and said, Tell me, did you ever think about divorce? She said, Divorce? Never. Murder, many times. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those things that women never want to admit (laughs) as they've gone away from something dumb we've said and just wanted to go, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) No, we understand that it just doesn't always work out that way. In fact, it is not always that way. It is never always that way. It's not the way it works out. Here is where we've missed the boat. We go in and our world goes into marriage with the whole idea that this is all about pleasure and fun and this is about this great, wonderful relationship. It's going to be so happy and joyful and we go in seeking this other person to provide for those things that will make us joyful and happy. And it doesn't work. Because what we do when we think that way is we turn our spouse in to our God. It's idolatry. And we're expecting from our spouse to do something to fulfill us that only God Himself can do. And that kind of demanding nature on the relationship is counterproductive and ruins the relationship. It takes it all away. It is like trying to attain joy by going out and trying to get all the gusto out of life. And the Lord said, what's going to happen if you try to save your life? You will lose it. And what's going to happen when you try to save your life in a marriage relationship? You will lose it. But if you lay down your life, you will gain it. Joy is had by not pursuing it. It is had by pursuing holiness. And love in marriage is not had by pursuing it as the primary goal. But by laying my life down and pursuing holiness. That's the picture that He's giving you. That's the whole idea of what marriage is. Marriage is teaching us to pursue holiness and pursue self-sacrifice and to pursue what God illustrated as love. And when we pursue it that way, we get to the point where He is teaching us how to be the kind of person He wants us to be in His relationship with us and our relationship with Him. That's what He's looking for. Now, it's a radical idea. It's a radical picture. But let's just take a look at this a little bit better. In verses 25 to 27, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her that she might be holy and without blemish just ask yourself this question why did he come and lay his life down for us Well, oh, somebody says so can I can have my sins forgiven dude look at the text again so she could be holy and without blemish It goes beyond the forgiveness of our sins. It is an illustration of Him taking the lead and saying, here's what I'm looking for in my bride. I am going to make my bride holy and without blemish because I'm going to lay my life down for her and show her what she must be as well. She also must follow that same principle and lay her life down for me. Now... Why did God create marriage? What happens in marriage? Struggle, pain, sin, forgiveness, struggle, pain, sin, forgiveness, constant desire to overcome the conflict, to move more and more to be like Christ so that the union is absolutely pleasant and joyful, understanding that it cannot get there unless i lay my life down so that through it all, I finally come to the point where I learn to love as Christ loved. I get a picture of it and then I do it. And you wonder why Marriages are failing at the 50% rate, etc. It's because people are not following the pattern that Christ has. But it's also true in our relationship with one another. In the text here, we see a principle of submitting yourselves one to another. Here are Christ showing the way with the church. In marriage, we see the way with loving and laying down our lives and submitting as Christ did. And then that same principle is shown in our relationship within the body. The same thing happens. Do you ever know somebody who thought that uh, uh, when they came into marriage that they wouldn't have problems? You know, they kind of do it like this. I do premarital counseling say, so you know, you're going to have problems in the relationship. Oh, we, 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 you know, we've worked on that. And yeah, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, trying to keep myself from just coming apart, laughing so hard. Yeah, right. You have no idea. I told all my boys repeatedly: while you're dating, if there's something you really don't like, multiply it by a hundred. That's the way that you, you get married. And I can tell you, Rob's called me a few times ago. Okay, Dad, they dated her a year. I multiplied by 100. I think I'm going to kill myself. And I said, Okay, you know what you've got to do. Yeah, it hasn't called me. Five, I mean, that's like Shelley so that, that, that's so here, here you go. You have to lay your lives down. In, in Isaiah 11, remember this text in Isaiah 11, verse 6 through 9? You know, Brent Priest said, With a wolf shall lay down with the lamb. Remember that one? And the and the young lion and the and the kid goat together, and the kid and, and the young child is putting his hand in the serpent's den, and you're going, Whoa, what is that all about? Jehovah's Witnesses tell you, right? Oh, that's life on earth in the in the perfect time. And all this. You know what that's talking about? Us. He's talking about how he brought wolves and lambs together in one body. Now, is that going to be easy? You just go and and grab a wolf and then take a lamb and go, Lamb, I want to introduce you to the wolf. Wolf, here's the lamb. Now you guys get in that pen and get along. (laughs) Lamb's done. That's it. And that's exactly what God, God brings us together in one body. And then he says, now look. I created this body as a body, members of one another, and I'm expecting you to learn to love and have peace together. That's what I'm expecting out of you. Wolves and lambs together. How have we done with that as a brotherhood? Just take the last 50 years. How have we done with that? I think that is the one of the most discouraging, sinful, disgusting things that I see over my lifetime is the amount of churches who have divided over and over and over again. And if not in a full-fledged division... How many years go by that somebody in a body in a local church just gets their knickers in a knot and I'm done with this church and I'm going to go look for another one? And what's going to happen? Well, of course, in heaven, when we all get there to the pearly gates, the Lord is going to take the two groups and say, now y'all gotta kiss and make up because you have an eternity together, and I don't want any fight. No, I don't believe so. That's not what He's called us to do. That is not what He's called us to be. He has called us to love because love never fails. Look at it this way. There is no lawful choice to get out of a marriage. And there is no lawful choice to get out of our relationship together. We are members of one body. I don't get upset with my arm, yank it off, and throw it away. We are members of one body. And He has challenged us, just as in a marriage. He has challenged us to learn, to love, to overcome, to deal with the pain, to deal with the differences, to overcome those things and learn to love. Everybody who's been married very long understands we went through tough times. We got over that and we learned to love greater. Then we went through tougher times and we learned to overcome that and love grew stronger and greater. And we do that over and over again. Again, because our whole purpose is to show that we are disciples of Christ. Jesus said it in John chapter 13 and verse 35. He said, By this all men will know you are my disciples. Now I wonder, has the world known that we are his disciples? in the past just 50 years? Has the world known that? Has the world has watched us over and again divide? Has the world known that? I'd be surprised. This is is hugely important. Look at these words. Husbands should love their wives as, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of His body. Look at this. We see love again on three levels here. We see the love God expects in marriage. We see the love that God expects for Christ and we see the love that God expects for one another in the body. We see the love on those three levels because that's what the whole text deals with. It starts with we and how we love and submit to one another. It deals then with the marriage relationship as the illustration of that and shows us it as the pattern from which Christ gave us. Look at some of these words here. Nourishes and cherishes. So we look at that and we go, okay, that's what a husband does for a wife, right? Yes. It is also what Christ has done for us. It's also what we do for one another. We cherish one another. We nourish one another. See how deep that relationship is? It is illustrated by marriage. And if we can see the depth in it in marriage and see the depth in it in Christ and us, then we must see the depth in it in how we treat one another. We're not going to use words that are not nourishing and cherishing. We're not going to speak to each other or speak about each other that are not nourishing and cherishing. We're going to reflect how Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. And you notice these words. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. Does that sound like love your neighbor as yourself? It's very similar, isn't it? You know what I hate about people? what people do with this? Oh, he who loves his wife loves himself. Or love your neighbor as yourself. You see, that's about how we need to love ourselves. Oh, dude, you are missing the whole point of the text. This is not talking about how you love yourself. This is talking about the fact that since you are in one body, you would be harming your flesh, your own self to do something against someone else in the same body. Why am I not going to mistreat my wife? Because that's my flesh. That's the oneness. We are one together. And I'm not going to do that. Why does Christ nourish and cherish us and love us the way He does? Because He is not going to harm His body. He'd be harming Himself. And why do we treat ourselves, each other, with the same love and the same honor and the same nourishing and the same cherishing as Christ does us? It's because to harm one another we be harm the body. And no one would be so foolish. He would be crazy to harm his own flesh. That is the problem. That's where we go with this. No one suggest to you in all this. There's a danger. There's a danger here in choosing not to marry. I'm not suggesting it's wrong to choose not to marry. But I'll tell you what someone needs to, you need to think about that I'm seeing in the world and sometime in the church. I don't want to marry because I don't want responsibilities. Hold it. You are called beyond this. You may choose not to marry, but in this relationship in the body, you have no choice but to lay your life down because what God is doing with you in this body is causing you to give your life up. And too many times, we are living in a society where less than fifty percent, as we have said, less than fifty percent of the marriages are now are of children born are born to, to a married couple. Less than 50% of the children born are born to married couples. People are just, well, until I get tired of this. You know why? Because I don't want to sacrifice. I want to dump this relationship when I want to dump the relationship. And that is counter. And the people people do it in the church as well. I'm going to dump this relationship when it no longer satisfies what I want in the church. Then I'm going to find another church that will satisfy me. Now you have ruined marriage. Now you have ruined the purpose of God's relationship in the church. His relationship here is to cause us to lay our lives down. And it doesn't matter where I'm single, married, or who I am. I am called to give up my life for everyone here and all the brethren. And through that difficulty, even when it's painful, even when I don't want to be around you, even when my whole being says to run away, I have got to say, no way. You notice how many times Paul told the church of Corinth to start the east side, west side, north side, and south side churches of Christ. No. And as bad as they were, he said, no way. You get it together. That's the body of Christ. That's the way it looks. One other thing. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Again, Paul teaches love on three levels. Christ left heaven, pursued us by laying His life down. Notice it carefully. He pursued us by laying His life down. He laid the pattern. Then he said, look, husbands, look, spouses, you learn to love like Christ loved by being forced into a relationship that you have no choice to leave. Forced into a relationship, whether it's marriage or in the body, where you have no choice to leave, your only choice is to learn to love, is to overcome the hurt, overcome the problem, and learn to love. You have no other choice than that. Here is love, John said. John 3.16. John, 1 John 3.16. Here is love. That He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So why did, God, why did God design marriage? Why did God design the church? Why did God design a brotherhood of believers? As Peter said, love the brotherhood. Hey, He didn't design this church so that we'd have a place to worship. He didn't design this church so that we could have some friends and some nice company. He didn't design this church so that we could have some potlucks and get together a few times. He didn't design this church just so we'd have a place to come together and sing together. He designed the church so that He would force us into a relationship of sinful people who would have to grow and learn to love even when it was counter everything our flesh wanted to do and pulling us through that and causing us to live, as Francis de said, in a constant state of mortification to taste the, taste the bitter juice of the time plant in hope of drawing out the sweet honey of holiness. God placed us together To learn to be whole. To learn to be like Him. And every time we quit on each other, and every time we quit in a marriage, and every time we do not love as we should love, we have failed God's purpose. And we do not reflect ourselves as His disciples. And that was His whole purpose. That was his goal. That the world may know that we are his disciples. So don't give up on marriage, on each other, and on our body as body of Christ. If you're not a Christian, we urge you to take a step first to learn to love God. And then to love God's people as God has asked you. If we can help you in that direction anyway, we urge you to take that step forward while well, together we stand. 've well, we always stand.